Calling all birders. Join us from May 18th to the 21st, 2023 for the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival. Don't miss the premier event for both amateur and seasoned bird watchers. Enjoy workshops, keynote presentations, and over 200 species of birds. Start planning your trip by visiting greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. That's greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick. It is the last Thursday of the month, so it's the This Month in Birding panel. And this is a particularly long and spicy one, so I want to go ahead and throw over to it. So without any further ado, aside from the regular rare bird thingy, here's a panel with Dexter Patterson, Martha Harbison, and Jordan Rudder. What a time we had. We talk molt, we talk shushers. We talk shining woodcock butts, and we do it all right after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of January 2023. It's a fabulous foursome of first records this week in the ABA area. We'll start in Oklahoma, where a slady-backed gull has been seen in Oklahoma City. Reports of this species have exploded in the last decade across the ABA area from what used to be a very rare East Asian gull. Slady-backed is now annual in the West and increasingly so in the Great Lakes, so it stands to reason that we should start seeing records of this bird all across the continent. In Nova Scotia, a gray-crowned rosy finch was seen in Green Bay. This species is the most wide-ranging of the three North American rosy finches, and this is, to date, the farthest east the species has been recorded. Gray-crowned rosy finch does have a surprising pattern of vagrancy, though, with multiple records around the Great Lakes, and some even as far as eastern Ontario, New York, Quebec, and Maine, and one outlier in Arkansas. Alabama birders celebrated that state's first record of white-tailed hawk last week, a young bird in Baldwin County. The species has been creeping northeastward along the Gulf Coast for several years now and is quite common as far north as Houston with a number of records in Louisiana these days. It seems likely that this pattern will continue. Maybe Mississippi and Florida will soon get there first as well. And West Virginia gets on the board for the first time in a couple of years with its long-awaited first record of Townsend Solitaire in Grant County. Townsend Solitaire is an annual western vagrant in the east, particularly in the northeast, getting less regular as you go south. Even so, West Virginia was a big old hole in the map for this bird, getting one up on Kentucky, which is still yet to record to solitaire seems inevitable. Those are the recent highlights, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and in ABA community. Uh, we've reached the end of the first month of 2023. How time has flown. It is now time for January's This Month in Birding, the panel discussion wherein a fascinating group of birders comes to uh, essentially geek out about birds a little bit. I'm thrilled to welcome a group of old and new friends this month in alphabetical order. A journalist and birder with the National Audubon, one of the Galbatrosses, frequent bringer of the spiciest birding takes. It is Martha Harbison. Hello, Martha. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Um, he is the Wisco birder, the founder of the BIPOC birders of Wisconsin, and according to Birds and Blooms, the flyest birder you will ever meet. It is Dexter Patterson. Welcome, Dexter. The flyest. Flyest. The flyest. You yeah. Know, you got to the emphasis. You got to put the emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> and last our, God, last, our good friend from the American Bird Conservancy and Bird Names for Birds. Hi, Jordan Rudder. It's always great to see you. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year to you all. I hope your uh, birding year lists are off to a great start. Mine um, is not 
is not so much. It's kind of been nasty weather-wise here in the southeast for for a while. Uh, but that's turning. Hopefully, the birds will turn with it. Um, but I, I, I am hearing a lot about people seeing birds all over the the all over the state. I'm part of a, a group me, a chat group where wherein rare birds are are shared among all the people who want to be involved in that. And um, that's that's how we learn about birds now. I'm curious if you guys do similar sorts of stuff with uh, with your bird groups around, and uh, whether or not there's any associated drama with it. There's always a little bit of drama, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But, but how do you learn about rare birds in your area? All the drama. Yeah, isn't that the isn't that the truth? <laughs> Birders always bring it. Yeah, I, 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 it's so funny that you say that because there are like some some little private chats that people have yeah. set up and like some people get really anal about these little <laughs> groups and like I'm so like laid back when it comes to the birding stuff so like when I when I meet those people I call them shushers you know <laughs> the the good old shushers when That's I right. meet people like that I'm just kind of like whoa what are you dude like <laughs> relax right you know uh, birds are supposed to be fun like birds the, are fun yeah it's funny because it's so easy to make those groups now that if there's even the littlest hint of, of, of drama or someone gets mad about anything that happens in there, they'll just like make this little splinter group and then you don't hear about all the birds. It's like there's, there's an advantage to having a large number of people in one place reporting to the same place, but like it's hard to keep... It's, it's like wrangling cats or wrangling blackbirds or whatever you want to. Like it's hard <laughs> to, to like keep those people focused in a way that makes everybody happy. Absolutely. Um, obviously, especially ABA having birding ethics, like we always want to yeah. put the birds and their well-being first. But as long as you're not talking about a sensitive species, in my mind, why not share, right? Like everything about birding is so much better when you get to share it with someone else. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just don't understand where the shushers um, <laughs> come from because, like, oh, well, also, you know, I also want to respect the private property or limited mm. access. So that's a, that is one other thing. But again, you know, if it's a, a park or something like that and there's a, a really good rarity, and I know we'll talk about that later yeah, in the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, put it on Twitter. I know Dexter's like awesome on social media with, with sharing all of that stuff. But WhatsApp, GroupMe, RBA alerts, listservs, like the list goes on and on. It's sometimes hard to know like where to look for that sort of stuff just because these, these groups come and go sometimes they're so ephemeral. I, I'm, I'm responding to this article that uh, Alan Tilmouth, uh, a, a UK birder, wrote about um, um, WhatsApp. And yeah, yeah, I mean, some people use WhatsApp and some people use GroupMe and some people use, I, I don't know, there's like Twitter private DMs and um, you know, you know, Facebook groups and all this. There's, there's so many different ways to learn about birds. I hear some consternation out there. Like how can there, how can there not be like one big community where we where we learn about things. I, I don't know. They want, to, they want to say it like it's the old days um, with the phone trees and all that stuff. But those had problems too because like how do you know to get on the phone tree and, and, and some people don't pass it on. I mean, there's, there are issues with every kind of communication out there when we're learning about birds. It's just a matter of finding, I, I don't know, the one that, that irritates the least number of people. Is that even possible in the internet age? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because it's po because it's populated by people. You yeah, know, it's not the technology. It's, it's not the technology that's yep. necessarily. <laughs> although Twitter right now is really uh, gunning for it, just being the technology being irritating. <laughs> it's actually the human beings that are in there that it 
cause the most friction. It's like the problems with zombie movies aren't the zombies, it's the human beings. The only other thing I was going to mention is that I think geography and lists, like bird mm-hmm. lists, are usually the real like thing behind all of these groups and that can be really challenging and duplicative as well right because sometimes you have like a county group that you're sharing rarities or updates Mm -hmm. or whatever compared to i know the aba has some of those like larger like more country national scales and so i think that's also just inundation of information and right filtering like that's just so much. It's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's, a lot. lot. it's a lot. And I and I kind of sigh with that because one, it's a lot of just like posts and information, but also a lot of opinions. <laughs> yeah, a lot of yeah. Yeah, I kind of live for that though. I'm nosy. <laughs> so I was like, I absolutely want to know what rarities up in Schenectady, New York. Um yeah. <laughs> I will never be going there, but I, I actually really I kind of like watching that unfold. Um yeah. one time on a list I was on, I actually people were responding or reporting real time of a couple of birders chasing a rarity on private property and the cops coming after them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like sitting there in my living room, like watching like this unfold yeah. over a list serve. I was like, this is incredible. Dance puppets dance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, they've been talking for years about a, a birding reality show and what that would look like. I mean, maybe that's what it looks like. It's <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe the legal waivers are too onerous for that sort of thing, but I, I don't know. That might be, it'd be worth watching, I guess. I, I do see some issues though sometimes, y'all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if some of you see this, but like this, uh, this elitist like gatekeeping of mm-hmm. birds and like, I don't know. Sometimes it just comes off as really weird. Like only we're qualified to see this bird. Don't let right. everybody, don't let everybody see it. And I'm just kind of like, I'm the guy where I'm like, if we don't get people to care about these things, to get excited about it, right? Mm-hmm. How are we going to get them to want to like donate money or care about conservation or care about the long-term health of these protected birds or any of these things, right? So I just think sometimes we need to like focus more on sharing that bird joy than keeping people away all the time. Like I think sometimes we do a little more damage to the community mm-hmm. than anything where these people feel like that they have the right to tell people who can see this bird, who can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of like a slippery slope to me. For sure. So this week, I was going to talk a little bit about a really cool paper that came out in, I believe, the IBIS a couple of weeks ago um, by Dr. Yosef Kiat, who is a postdoc at the Field Museum. And the paper that he wrote, the title of it is Molt Terminology, Let's Make It Simpler, uh, which is the nerdiest thing ever, but I'm living for it. (laughs) Um, And what he really is, what, what he really argues in this paper is that ornithologists and avian ecologists and anyone who really cares about birds should be thinking of that we as a community need to reapproach how we talk about bird molt um, mm-hmm. and in a way that helps uh, foster understanding across a wider audience, um, but also like literally just across geographies. Because, and for the listeners here that maybe are not like, really up in like not all about that molt life um (laughs) i 
I just want to like, I can give like a very like quick primer here, which is that there are essentially there are two main ways to like describe bird bird molt. Um, and for molting, for those who are like, what are you talking about? It's when birds replace their feathers um, and they can replace their feathers for a lot of different reasons. Um, it is an extremely onerous process. I think it's the third most energetically costly process yeah. that birds undergo during their life cycle i think breeding is the first mm -hmm. so it is or i think migration is first and breeding is second molt is third so it is an incredibly important portion of their life cycle and it is extremely poorly understood people just don't really understand that much about molt um Anyway, there are two main like systems for describing this. One um, is called the life cycle, and it really is talks about like post fledging, post mating, and then during migration. So it's essentially it they describe the molt as it pertains to something some other action that the bird takes in its life. Mm -hmm. That um, system is mostly used uh, in Europe and in basically in the paper, uh, Dr. Kiat calls it old world. I'm not crazy about that terminology, but, you know, I'll, I'll use uh, the terminology that he uses. Um, anyway, the second system is called the HP system, and that's what we use in the Americas. And it doesn't describe life cycle. It actually just describes what the feathers are doing. So it actually zeroes in on the thing that you're studying and is a lot more finer graded. Um, so that's basically, that's molt. Um, and Nate, if you need to like break in, because believe me, I am going to like... <laughs> Are you going to go on for a yeah. while? <laughs> I was just going to say like, like, we really need to get to the bottom of whether it's spelled M-O-L-T or M-O-U-L-T. <laughs> as much as I love a good extraneous vowel, I really kind of it's a, appreciate... It's a U. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I actually do kind of like M-O-L-T. Um, yeah. But... One of the things I wanted to, based a little context that I wanted to bring into this before I actually like dive in, mm -hmm. um, is that I for for the for the listeners that don't know me very well, like I am not a bird bander, I am not a I'm not a scientist, I am a birder. Uh, I do use molt a lot um, when I bird. Uh, very specifically, uh, it turns out that it's actually really important when you are trying to identify female birds. Uh, really oh, understanding nice. molt strategy yeah. and molt timing uh, becomes critical for certain species and a certain times of year. So this is something that I actually pay attention to, but I am not an expert. So I am coming to this from a non-expert's uh, standpoint. That said, I work with some, I work with many uh, bird banders and somebody who's an expert in uh, bird molt, actually. So I ended up talking to a bunch of my colleagues in the process of like Did digging into this. Way like, more work than I asked of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, the main thesis of the paper is, yes, I, we need to make a grand unified theory of molt and we need to have rigorous consistent terminology across um across basically across the different areas different geographies because right now uh they're not even talking to basically birders or basically banders and ornithologists in the old world are not even talking about the same things that we're talking about mm -hmm. here um so uh dr kiet's argument was like we need to come up with a better system and and there's and there are problems with both of the systems that we have now that make them ins possibly insufficient to the task at hand. Number one, the lifestyle-based system was developed for northern temperate birds, and not just mm. northern temperate birds, but northern temperate passerines. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can't even describe, 
all of your own birds. You're only like getting, yeah, you're only right. able to describe uh, molt for a very, for a, a large, but not the entire population of birds either in the old world. Or the yeah, new I, world. I remember, I remember it just for example, um, you know, hawks, raptors, like yep. they molt completely different than passerines and they're molting for like half the year. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's different. You can't describe it the same way. It's, it's confusing even as a, I consider myself to be a pretty well-versed birder and I like molt makes my eyes like roll back in my head and uh, I just, I can't, I it's can't hardcore. get my head around it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hardcore. And one of the things that, it, and one of the other, so it doesn't like, it doesn't even just cover our Northern temperate birds, but it is very poor at describing what happens in the tropics. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those birds, like they don't have a four season life cycle. Right. They're breeding all throughout yeah. the season. And so this like post migration, post like it doesn't work. Doesn't it just work doesn't work. Migrate. And yeah. so, um, it, so essentially the, the, the life cycle system has like very serious limitations. However, it's very intuitive. Most people understand after you fledge, these are the feathers you get. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and Dr. Kiat's point is that most of the banding stations in the world are actually run by, or at least assisted by lots of amateurs and volunteers. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand molt while you're banding your birds, it actually affects the quality of research that you get out at the end. So really being able to accessible. Exactly. Well, then that brings us to the other thing, the HP system, the HP system kicks butt when it comes to (laughs) all kinds. It's a very comprehensive system that covers all the different uh, vagaries. It's like passerines, non-passerines, all of these like, you know, equatorial tropical birds that have all these incredibly quote unquote complex molt strategies. It covers all of them, but the terminology that it uses and the way that it breaks up how the feathers are actually moving is so incredibly complex that almost nobody understands it. <laughs> I mean, would you know what the difference between a preformative and a pre-basic molt is? Um, yeah, but only because I like actually looked it up one time. Yeah, it's not yeah, something yeah. I would think of off the top of my head if I weren't already aware of it. Yeah, exactly. And then basic versus alternate and whatever. Yeah, because so they feel backwards. Th- those feel backwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, they're not even consistent across bird classes. Yeah. I actually found that it's like, oh yeah, it's actually like the breeding whatever is considered basic here, but al- alternate here. And it's like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. So no, the HP system. Yeah, the HP system is not intuitive. One of the things that Dr. Kiat did for this paper is that he did, and this is, I mean, we could all like kind of harumph about like the quality of this particular bit of research, but put a put a poll out <laughs> on social media, on it. Twitter and Facebook, and asked birders and banders to essentially tested them to see like not only how good are uh, how good are you at identifying this particular molt in these two systems, but also then evaluating themselves and whether or not are, do you consider yourself an expert in this system? And it turned out that lots of people were very good at the life cycle. And a lot of people who said they were good at the life cycle were actually good at life cycle molt understanding. With the HP system, not everyone did very well. And even the people who said they were awesome at it, we had definitely the Dunner, the Dunning Kruger effect yeah. coming in. They're just like they <laughs> actually Kruger. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, oh my gosh, sorry, <laughs> but they sucked at it too. So, um, <sighs> there's some work to do here. Is what you're saying? <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's there's a lot of work to do. Um, 
when I was talking to my colleague, the one that actually is an expert in the HP system, I mean, he he agreed with the with the main thesis of this paper, mm-hmm. which was we need something better. He says it's he, he said he's like molt is so complex. And things are happening so quickly in that space that not even full-time ornithologists can keep up with it and that even they can't keep it in their heads. So one of the challenges um, that I see and that sort of came up in some of the other discussions I was having with my colleagues is that it might actually be impossible to make both things happen at the same time. Either you can accurately describe what's happening with molt and come up with a consistent terminology across that works for tro- you know tropical birds t- temperate you know passerines all all of them but that it's going to be that it will not be intuitive and it will be <laughs> relatively hard to understand but it will actually Great do start. the job yeah. it may not be the <laughs> hp system but it will actually do the job that scientists need it to do in yeah. order to actually understand and help conserve birds because the end of the day we're also like we're all trying to protect these yeah. protect these species and we might need to come up with a subsystem that for hobby for birders. people yeah. that are like working in banding stations and you know be able to separate it out. Nobody has come up with a really good system. And even the even Dr. Kiat doesn't really he doesn't make a recommendation. You can tell when you're reading the paper he has an opinion um, because he <laughs> tends because throughout the pa- basically throughout the paper you can see that he's biased towards the lifestyle the life cycle oh, okay. um, system a little bit. And I'm like that's fair. That's what you grew up with. With, um, yeah. and that's uh, and it's very easy to understand uh, but yeah so there's no recommendation but I'm fascinated I can't wait to see how this uh, how this wars. plays out yeah the multiple yeah I don't know if I have a lot to add that was very <laughs> comprehensive uh, Martha it was great it but was great. Uh, I would say that I am 100% in favor of just general language with regards to birds that is more accessible to people who are actually out you know, hobby birding. I understand the need for to, for precision when you're an academic and you're you're doing all this research. But like, I like to know that this stuff happens, and I like to be able to talk about it at least somewhat competently. And I I want to be able to I, like I don't like the terms like coverts and supercilium and uh, maxillary whatever. Like I try not to use those when I'm birding because I, I think that they are difficult for people to get their heads around. And I want to use things like eyebrow and undertail and things like that. And sometimes those are less less precise, but more e- easy to understand. It'd be nice to see something like that for molt. I guess that's all I, I have to say. I don't know what that's going to be. <laughs> Clearly, no one knows what that's going to be. But it would be great to see something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. All I, all I request is that we don't use some of the terminology that the life cycle system uses. Like yeah. one of them... It just sounds like a, like a sex pest invented it. It's like <laughs> post nuptial. <laughs> yeah, that's not a word. No one. Somebody said that to me in the field. I would. I, I yeah. would like be like, it's time for a fist fight. I'm turning um, my back on you. I'm going over here. You're staying right here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> you can. You can get out of. You can get off my trip <laughs> right now. Um, but anyway, yeah. so that's all I ask is like whatever we come up with, don't make it sound creepy. <laughs> <laughs> always but yeah. also Martha like as a writer you know what you're saying is really making me feel like there are some big words like quote big words like you know smarty hoity toity words that like are cool and make you feel like oh look at me I'm talking about mold. Oh, yeah. but then there's also like isn't there a more accessible a more understandable word out there that's just as good like why go beyond when you don't have to I have, a, I have a theory that some birders, some birders, not all birders, 
Certainly not like, on this. Yeah. No one here, obviously. No one, here. No one listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, use terms like supercilium or tertials uh, and just kind of throw them out there just to like make themselves seem more important. They're easier. Oh, they're easier. out there. I know that. I, yeah. I, know. I will oh, say that I do use supercilium sometimes. Sometimes. I, I try and say like, it's an eyebrow. It's an eyebrow, y'all. And yeah. then I use supercilium. Well, yeah. and then there's also a difference between like, Again, these like quote like big words or unknown words that are just fun to say, you yeah, know. That's but true. then Fair it's a, then you need to use it as a way to like uh, open a door for someone and be like, "Hey, yep. did you know that this is what it means?" Or like, yeah. "That's what we're talking yep. about." I agree. You can't just you can't just be a gatekeeper and use fancy words and like you know again hoity toity the yep. shushers the shushers the so, shushers yep. using so, words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I could go on. But Nate, I just want to make sure. That- <laughs> I know we have time. We'll do a special extended edition for our Patreon subscribers. Y'all, it's like the outtakes. Martha like, going let on. Me tell um, you about Martha going on. Martha on Molt. Yeah, I'll yes. save it for when I'm like out of town one week or something. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think that. Uh, that what I want to talk about is as as heavy hitting as what Martha just had. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't be honestly. Yeah, yeah. I, what I've been seeing and, and what I want to talk about is like it's kind of that time of year where like this these random cool birds just pop up in places, right? And the one that that ever, a lot of people are talking about is the snowy owl in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's really cool, you know. And and I want to get your all's get get you all's take on. You know, hundreds of people want to see this bird, obviously, right? And they're traveling to see this bird. It's kind of just going about its business. But then there are people that freak out about it and like, leave the bird alone and all this stuff. And it's just like, where do you guys stand on that? Where do you all stand on that? Like, where these vagrants, you know, birds just pop up in places or, you know, rarer birds, right? Because, I mean, the snowy owl, there's not a ton of them. Like, I think... Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, it's a species we want to take care of, but like, where do you stand on like a snowy owl shows up in in su- Southern California? What do birders do? You know, what's the yeah. right thing to do in this situation when this bird shows up where obviously it shouldn't be? Um, I've had this happen. I'm sure you've all had this happen in your areas, but I'm just curious what what what's your take on the snowy owl in Southern California? Two thoughts just right off the bat. Uh, one, I could tell you were heading in this direction when we were doing the intro. And so this is a good time for, for me to give my, my thoughts on that. And two, um, and this is more just kind of anecdotal. Um, George Munoz, who's one of our, one of our, um, one of our uh, interns here at the ABA, um, who does social media for us, uh, lives in Southern California. And so he got to go see this bird. Uh, and it was like a super exciting experience for him. Um, I'm generally of the opinion that as long as the bird does not like look like it's being put out. I mean, it, it it put down in the in a neighborhood in Los Angeles, like a city of however many million people. Right. Um, it's gonna it's gonna get a lot of attention. And as long as the bird like is just doing what it's normally doing, I am one hundred percent in favor of lots of people coming and seeing this bird. Obviously, respectfully from a distance, get some folks from the local bird club out there with some scopes. Put them on it, have them as ambassadors that, you know, obviously the people that are comfortable doing that sort of thing, like make this an event. Like, isn't what we want as a birding community is a lot of people getting excited about birds. I mean, that's what it's all about. Man, that's what that's what I would hope it would be about. Yeah, and right, like, exactly. That's, that's the bird to do it, right? Exactly. Like, it's super charismatic. 
it's like in the pop culture. I mean, this is a bird that people are going to be excited to see. I went and took my family when we were on the Outer Banks about a year and a half ago uh, in one winter. We found out that there was a snowy owl. I found out from a friend that a snowy owl was like literally like three minutes away from the beach house we were staying at. And so we all got up. I grabbed my scope. We took it out there and we, we looked at this bird. My kids were looking at this bird. My in-laws were looking at this bird. My parents were looking at this bird. Like it was a great experience. And my mother-in-law still tells me, yeah, you know what I liked most about that Outer Banks trip that we took? Mm. seeing that snowy owl mm. it's like that's how it is you'll see a bird like that you remember it yeah we had it, it's funny because we had one my mother i actually got my mother fun fun story i i'm actually the one that got my mom into birding nice. so usually you know you kind of see it the other way around yeah where it's like the parents are like trying to get the kids to go birding well i actually <laughs> got my mom into birding because mm-hmm. she's just like my son's all into this thing she never really <laughs> was a birder but this summer, we actually had a snowy owl over summer in, in Wisconsin. And my mom mm-hmm. found this snowy owl in August. All right. That's and it's literally just owl, hanging yeah. out in Wisconsin, in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, next to our local grocery store. Yeah. And she just finds this snowy owl. And, and, and it literally had the same effect yeah. that I'm seeing what's happening to the people in, in California. And I'm like, this bird is not emaciated. It's eating good. It's preening itself. It's hunting. It's doing it. It's flying away. It's coming back. You don't see it for a week or two. It popped back up. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, this bird is just living his best life. Um, And that's kind of what I see with this one out in in Southern California. Like, it looks like a healthy bird, right? Mm -hmm. Without capturing it and doing tests on it and all that. But be worse for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just kind of leave it alone. It doesn't seem bothered. And and it just seems like most people that I've met, Birders are good people. Mm-hmm. Like there are very few people that you see that are doing like these unethical things to the bird to just really try to get that money shot. And these I type. agree with you. That's kind of far in, in between. And I think that we use those cases as the norm when it mm-hmm. comes to sometimes some of these birds. We just yep. assume that this is what everybody's going to do. So that's where I think this gatekeeping comes in. You know, you see certain people that only these groups of people are seeing these rare birds pop up. They kind of got like their little clicks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, fine, I'm going to have my own, <laughs> you know, like that's kind of like, you, you know, you, you kind of work your way through that. And, and I've had issues, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why I started my club yep. It's because I kind of wanted to break down some of these barriers that a lot of people in the birdie community put up and especially for beginning birders, non-traditional mm-hmm. birders, and those are the people that I care about. Yeah. You know, sure. I want the people, I want everybody to know that birding is for them. Birding yeah. is for everyone, even you. That's, that's what I always tell people. And especially people of color, people that never would ever think about birding or like, younger people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I always want people, it's not for old white people. That's what I tell people, you know? <laughs> I mean, eventually I'm going to be an old white person. Yeah. It's just, birding, it's but, not yeah. just for old white people. <laughs> Old yep. white people come to my events too. So yep. I just want to put that welcome. out there. Yeah. <laughs> but we have it all, right? Kids and everybody in between. But I just want them to get excited. When a bird like that shows up in a place like this, like what do you expect? Like yes. you, you got to use it. That's that's all I'm saying. Isn't it a learning opportunity, right? Absolutely. So this is 100%. where I would I would say to people listening, if you're leading a group or you're a part of a Audubon chapter or a birding group or you know, nature conservancies. Just a teaching moment, mm-hmm. right? This is where you can show up, like you said, with your scopes. Let's let's talk to these people about the bird that, like, yes, this is probably an accident. 
it, it ended up here. You know, it's not supposed to be here, but let's talk to them. You know, let's tell them about the bird and it's it, what it normally would do where you normally would see it and educate them. And that could open up the door because they're seeing this beautiful thing, like you said, from a Harry Potter movie. Your mm-hmm. letter is coming, folks. That's right. Right. Like your, your letter Someone is coming in the mail anytime. Um, but like really take that as an opportunity as a catalyst to, to really get people excited. So, yeah, I just, you know, and I see this sometimes and I see people poo-pooing, you know, not even just like vagrant birds, but like escapees, right? Mm-hmm. You see like reports of we have a Mandarin duck in, mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I'm like, yeah, it probably escaped from a zoo. I don't freaking care. <laughs> I don't care. It's still amazing. It's still pretty cool. Like you yeah. see people and I see them in ABA chats. Why is everybody so excited about a pet? <laughs> you know, like. Those kind of people, I'm like, you're probably a joy to hang out with. I definitely don't want to go birding with you because literally I don't care that it's an escaped animal. It is beautiful. And it's in a while living his best life and you're not excited. Yeah. Dude, like what is wrong with you? Pinch yeah, yourself. I, you know? As I've gotten, as I've gone along, I've gotten, gotten less. Yeah, I know. Like if you're, if you're, I understand from a listing perspective, if you want to like be competitive about it, it helps to have an even playing field. But like, if you don't care, then who cares? Right. Yeah, Enjoy people are like, uh, Dexter, you know you can't count that as a it's life like, bird. Then. <laughs> They're like, you know you can't count that as a life bird. I said, says who? You? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, it's so funny to me. Like, how are you going to tell me that I can't count this as a life bird? Because I've never seen one, and I'm not hopping on a plane to East Asia, Yeah. right, to go see a Mandarin duck tomorrow when I can drive an hour to Milwaukee and see one and all yeah. its glory, right? Enjoy you the know? birds you see. Oh man, enjoy every single one. And I just think that that's another level where like, do you really love birds (laughs) if you're being like this? Cause like, I was like, those kind of people made me question, like, should I be pulling your bird nerd card right now? (laughs) Cause I think I might need to. Well, and you never know what's going to be a spark bird or a spark conservation (laughs) action for person. Like what if someone that's not a bird person saw that Mandarin duck, right? It's out in the wild. It's free flying. Like, that could totally create this butterfly effect that that person that saw or or heard the duck like you want that right like we shouldn't be limiting ourselves and and positive actions moving forward just because it's not wild you should see the comments from people right like when people see images of the of birds like that or even snowy owls right Mm -hmm. people are like this exists like this is around here I could actually see this in a real, like, it really does freak out some people that don't understand, like, birds. And and Mm -hmm. it could be, right? Like you said, Jordan, it could really make somebody be that rabbit hole, right? Be that spark bird that makes them want to learn a little bit more. So I would just say, caution people to be poo-pooing these moments, right, for for some folks. And, And like I said, especially newer birders, people that are newer to the birding community, they don't get all this stuff. They don't yeah. get the competitiveness. Like when they see the competitiveness and like if they're exposed to that, they typically don't come back to an event. They don't come back. Right. Like they, they're just like, oh, that was weird. Right. Like, um, so <laughs> unless you're you gotta, at that, bring that on them later. <laughs> yeah. You got to leave people alone. Right. Like you can't you can't do that. And it's like I teach psychom. I'm like I'm in a psychom world and like science has such such a communication problem. Right. And it's because we talk at the level of researcher to researcher and we don't realize that it's about getting people 
regular lay people, people to care about the research, mm -hmm. not spew data at them, not spew those big words at them, right, Martha? It's to get them to figure out why <laughs> so this ties into the why, too. right? <laughs> why yeah. they should care, right? Yeah. Let's focus on why they should care. And, and that's why I say, I always tell people I take a slightly scientific approach to birding, where it's like, I want people to enjoy the moment. And then if they want to learn more, right, that's when I can take the opportunity and get nerdy and go deeper on certain things mm -hmm. with certain people because they ask. But not everybody needs to be exposed to that. So we mm -hmm. take it from let's have some fun. If you have some questions, great. And everybody's going to have different questions. And then we see these questions surfacing amongst the community because some of our members are more advanced birders and some are over here and some over mm -hmm. there. So you'll see these conversations kind of taking place in different pockets. And that's what I love. That's community. Um, so but I would tell I would just challenge people like. Let's stop poo-pooing people. Let's let's get excited about these these vagrant birds, these rare birds that pop up. Let's use them as teaching tools to get people excited about our feathered friends. And I just think that it could really, really, really catapult us um, and, and cast a wider net. Get some more people in. Yep. The more birders, the better. Yeah. Don't shush the joy or curiosity or no. the celebration of like birds are amazing. literally. It's it's funny because I showed up in Milwaukee and I see the I see the mandarin duck and I'm like, oh my god, there it is! <laughs> like if anybody like follows me on social media, what you see is what you get. Like that's how I bird. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> and I don't care. And this old dude looks at me. He's like, Shh. I said, excuse me. I said, you're not going to shush me. I said, the only person that cares about me being excited about this bird right now is you. And you need to ask yourself why you care so much that I'm excited. He shut up so fast. You guys don't even realize, right? <laughs> My joy like about birds, I see more birds than most people. That's what I try to tell people. Like, I am not quiet. And I see so many birds and I see birds up close and I see rare birds and I see bird after bird after bird and I get excited <laughs> and they're still there. And it's contagious. Yeah, your, and I tell people, you see this, I am proving you wrong minute after minute after minute, video after video. You don't need to be quiet, right? Like, who cares? <laughs> like, have some freaking fun. Um, so that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Nobody will ever shush me in the woods. They'll never shush me anywhere. I won't allow it. And it, that's just what it is. Martha, do you remember the hot duck phenomenon? Oh, yes. He's a New York birder. Absolutely. Yeah. The Mandarin in Central Park. Yes. Yes. And I took people up to Central Park to yeah. look at it. Right. And we had the same conversations around like, do you count it? Do you don't count it? Who gives, a, you know, who cares yeah, right. whether or not? Um, I think one thing I wanted to like sort of bring into a little bit with this conversation and this gets back to what Dexter was talking about about communications is understanding your audience here mm -hmm. because like there's some like some audiences it's not necessarily that yeah they, they just need to get excited about the birds but I think mm -hmm. at some point especially when he's like talking about rarities and we're talking about birds that are vulnerable we can start like we can start talking about human impacts on them mm -hmm. because we've we've seen time and again like where I live like if you get 4,000 people all like crowding on a bird, like that's not actually good for the bird. <laughs> you know, at some point it's going to stress the bird out. I happen to live in an extremely densely populated area. And so I think New York City is kind of a special case when it comes mm -hmm. to, but it's like, but that's not to say like we're going to need to, we need to just 
chase everybody away. It's like, let's have a conversation about what is it like to be respectful mm-hmm. of the birds that you're observing? Because we, it's, it's not us and them. We are all in community together. We are all part of nature, but we shouldn't be extractive about it. We shouldn't be like, this is what I need to get out of this, of this interaction without taking the bird's like welfare into account. And I think that, but anyway, my point was that there is a time and place to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. If it's just some rando that's like walking down the street, you're not going to be like, look at this owl. And now I'm going to X. And now it's like, <laughs> yes, now right. I'm going to lecture you about all the ways <laughs> that you're, this owl. <laughs> that you're bad because you're within. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look at this owl. No, stop, stop, stop looking at this owl. Stop. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you doing? You, you know, I'm trying very hard to make sure you don't have to bleep me, Nate. And I, so uh but anyway but so i totally get that because i think that there is a time and a place especially for getting people excited about it but once you have once people are a little bit bought in it's time to have the conversation about Mm -hmm. being an ethical birder Mm -hmm. um and that means being ethical towards the birds and being ethical towards your fellow human beings yeah um because you know the shusher like that guy like he's as bad as anybody who's like out there chasing owls to get flight shots in my opinion like don't be that don't be a jerk yeah Um, yeah don't be but and so i think yeah, like there's, but it's like i think yeah. that a lot of people either abdicate this responsibility of mm-hmm. building a better birding community because you're like i don't want to bother or i'm an introvert you know that's like always like i don't talk to people it's like <laughs> it's a lot of i mean come on work. man <laughs> that essentially they just they just don't want to do it or it's become their, their like their personal stand that everybody gets to do whatever they want all the time mm-hmm. which is very different from what I perceive Dexter talking about when he's like saying he's being loud in the forest, like that's one thing, but that's not necessarily deliberately like harassing a bird in order to right. get something out of it. Right. But I think that really understanding when we can start having these conversations and when we can call our friends out when they're like, it's just a Mandarin duck and it's like clearly <laughs> like somebody's pet. It's just like, okay. I mean, I guess we can say that in the private group chat, but like, don't, I don't want to ever hear you say that around yeah. anybody that's like not in this group chat. Right, or or you totally know, stoked like about the possibility really, of really seeing careful a, a, about a how cool you're saying duck, that yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing too that I don't understand is like, okay, if if I challenged you to do one thing for birds and people more than you're doing today, right? Especially for you, super big listers, you experienced birders, mm-hmm. like consider sharing your scope at these events or at these rarity sightings, you know, or tell someone how they can actually help birds or something. Okay. If you're not going to take me up on my challenge, support those that are really trying and trying to make the community better. You know, when I've shared my scope in the past, I I have this very vivid memory of a Rehoboth beach, um, Delaware snowy owl where Mm -hmm. I, shared my scope and there was a family with kids and I actually like let them take cell phone pictures and everything through the scope. (laughs) And other people were like, why'd you make the group bigger? Why do you do that? Like, what, what are you doing for this owl? And I'm like, again, those kids, they, they have those pictures now. Like that's really valuable. And it would have been really nice for those like shushers now (laughs) in the context of this conversation Mm -hmm. to just be like, Hey, thanks for doing that. Like, you don't have to hate on it. There's a weird sort of angle that I've heard in some members of the birding community. Agree. Uh, again, no one here and no one listening, obviously, um, where they don't want birding to become 
too popular. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I understand what it means in terms of the places that we have now. Like maybe it means that your local places, your local hotspot is going to be slightly more crowded. But it also means you've got a constituency for more public spaces, for more birding habitat, for more action taken for conservation of these things, even local conservation, like more green spaces. My God, we could use more green spaces just about everywhere. Yeah, I mean, why don't you why don't you want more people making your voice for birds louder? I don't I don't get it. I, I guess I never will get it. It's um, because it's not yeah. their voice. It's about it's, them. Yeah, maybe so. And it's not, not about the bird yeah. community at that point. Yeah, it really is. Well, this gets to another thing that I've noticed about the another thing about the birding community. We go on and on, and we could do an entire podcast about this. Honestly, I, I I think of birding as like a ladder, almost right. And some people think that you have to climb all the way up to the top of the ladder. Like that's the goal of birding, and there's nothing wrong with that. Climb to the top of the ladder, get real into deep into gold molt, hybrid molt, if you want to. That's your prerogative. That's cool stuff. I'm enjoy. I, I'm glad people are finding joy in any aspect of birding. But like, if you only only want to go up a couple rungs. That's cool too. I mean, that's a that's a bird person too. That's someone that's going to be an ally in the conservation battles, quote unquote, to to come. Like that's all these people are people that we need in our world, in our community, to make the stronger way. And like we shouldn't get bent out of shape because people don't enjoy birding the way that we enjoy birding. And and yeah, I admit that in my younger days, I was sort of one of those people. It's like this is how you bird. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that I have softened on that. Uh, over the bird years. as you are that's what bird i tell you people yes. bird how you, you want know, bird. like a million ways to bird all, yeah, all bird yeah. bird how you want a bird i mean that's the that's what's going to keep you coming back you know that that's yep you know. whatever keeps you coming yeah. back is exactly right if it's a mandarin duck some people it's duck, just man. the hype <laughs> and the birds are the bones yeah. you know and that's yeah that's so okay right like i want people to know that so bird as you are yeah. can i just chime in with a more bird angle for this topic as well just because talking about birds is always more fun than talking about people ultimately in my opinion um (laughs) less dramatic more uh i just want to share one other thing um about this topic which is so uh gabriel and i went on january 1st to go see the shell duck in Mm -hmm. pennsylvania oh yeah it's getting a lot of the same Yeah. And so the thing that's really fascinating to me about all of this is kind of the mentality that all of these, especially it tends to be waterfowl, it seems in my opinion, but they they default to being escapees. And yes, there are some that are pretty obvious, whether it's like the, you know, the leg band tags or Mm -hmm. something else. But for the shell duck, it's really still up in the air like who knows right like the controversy and discussion it's endless right Mm -hmm. so the birder mentality i think we need more psychologists and sociologists in our group (laughs) (laughs) because i'm just so so curious as to why does that matter i I guess i really am trying to just say preach dexter preach about (laughs) like just enjoy the bird yeah Jordan, I was just saying, I'm not sure that we need more psychologists. I just think more birders need therapy. <laughs> birding birding is therapy. That's valid. Birding is therapy. Yeah, I mean, birding is, th- birding is therapy, but I also have therapy. <laughs> therapy is also therapy. <laughs> it is a gray and wintry day here in Western Maryland. And, you know, I'm thinking of the colors and the vibrancy and the jewels of spring coming my way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you say what is the most 
dazzling bird, my mind immediately goes to hummingbirds and their amazing gorgets or a tree swallow in the right lighting and that iridescent teal. Um, you know, you, you can see these really beautiful goldfinches. But if I throw it out to the audience listening, what is the brightest, flashiest bird in the whole world? What would you say? Oh. I would go Quetzal. to... Yeah, right? Some yeah. of these tropical birds. Something iridescent, yeah. Something with, again, a really cool name, right? Like Sun Angel mm. or, you know, Puff Leg. Something, something just amazing, right? It's not, it's not anything. I am uh, busting expectations around here per <laughs> usual. And I'm going <laughs> to blow people's mind. Yep. With the brightest ever documented bird, um, specifically the feathers, and the winner of that superlative title goes to the Eurasian woodcock. Yeah, this bird of just drab brown, overlooked habitat uh, is is the brightest. Now you're going to be like, wait, Jordan, this bird is brown. It's tan. Again, what's going on here? Well, at the edges of their tail feathers, especially the males, are these white, uh, almost full dots on their on their feathers. And because of the feather structure, which we now know is super incredible and involves molt and all these big terms that I can't even pronounce from Martha. (laughs) They uh, are the brightest. And so what is actually bright, not intelligence? but the reflection of light. Um, we uh, Scientists measure that with a spectrometer, and these white tips on the Eurasian woodcock feathers reflect 55% of light. Is that good? That's unheard of. Okay. I have no, like, I have in terms no, of I have the, no context. <laughs> the flashiness, the, the reflection, basically, is super intense. Yeah. Um, and the reason for this is, of course... For mating. So <laughs> in terms of trying to tie this back to what, what our whole conversation and especially Martha was sharing is that, okay, so if this, if molt is the third most costly thing, the, the, at least one or two is going to be breeding, mm-hmm. then of course it makes sense that these birds want to have really incredible feathers that show off, you know, their best, their best outfits to attract their mates. And so it's really fascinating to me to think about all of the different strategies that birds use, because again, woodcocks, at least the ones that I have seen in North America, have really cool paints and have really cool mm-hmm. displays and everything. But to think that for the Eurasian woodcocks, they also have these like bright flashes. Is that something about actually attracting their mate's attention to watch them? Is it about like we there's so much about birds we don't know and it's so amazing. And I have to say it every podcast that I get to be on, birds are amazing. Birds are amazing. So Ultimately, I don't think that like my section for the podcast is going to be that great of a contribution. <laughs> Other than it's kind of cool to know, we love it's, we love it's odd super bird facts cool around to know. here. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is like bird trivia. Like, yeah. who has the flashiest feathers? It's not, it's not what, what you think. It's the so, butt of a woodcock. It's the yeah. woodcock butt. Yeah, they got taillights. Yeah, they got taillights. So. Yeah, right? So, but I mean, one thing I was going to say, it's like, I mean, I'm not sure about Eurasian woodcocks, but we know that American woodcocks are, are mostly crepuscular. So yeah. it's it's like, is, you know, is this extremely reflective, you know, th- these spots, like, is 
does it behave differently during the day versus a crepuscular environment versus at you know when it gets really dark? That's a good question. Yeah, and, well, so so I also read the scientific paper that supported nice. this. Hell yes, appreciate it. Because I'm just a big old bird nerd too. But it's it it again. I think it. I think you're onto something, Martha, because it was talking about the crepuscular time of day, mm-hmm. and because. Uh, not just for these woodcocks and those sections of feathers, which the fact that an individual feather can have different sections of different structures is just mind boggling to me. But the white and for most birds that are white, it's all down to the feather structure. So they're not, it's not pigment. It's not, you know, an exterior coating or something like that. It's truly the feather that is doing that makes it more for this Eurasian woodcocks in the paper, more of almost like a mirror mm-hmm. as a metaphor yeah. than anything else. So I would think that if it was during like the sunniest summer day, it yeah. would be even brighter. But mm. they also did lab uh, lab testing with the spectrometer on this. So I don't know what that means Wonder what it in looks terms like of to that 55%. wonder how a woodcock sees mm. it. Because oh your birds gosh, can don't see even get me ultraviolet, <laughs> and we can't. So we have no idea what this looks like to a female woodcock. Yeah. Don't they, can't they also see polarized light? I think mm-hmm. so. They can see a lot yeah. of cool stuff. But then see. it's like the difference between color and just that brightness. Yeah, that right. That's the light. thing that I thought like, was really interesting. Yeah. Because th- this, this is the same thing with loudness, too. So like we think about things as, as loud in terms of, well, I mean, it's decibels, yes, but it's like context dependent mm. as well. So when like there are some bats, Ted Floyd brought this up on a recent podcast, and it, it always he he does he always brings up weird things like this. But it's like some bats are the loudest creatures among the loudest creatures known to man, and we don't think as of bats as being loud in like absolute terms, but like in decibels they are. It's really short, and it's at a frequency we can't really hear. But in loud the absolute loudness, they're they're super loud. And I guess it's it bright is the same way. It's using a spectrometer. Yeah, we can't necessarily see the the ways in which it's brighter than say a I don't know a snow goose, but um, it is. It just it just is, <laughs> and there are ways to determine it that are beyond what our poor human senses can uh, can see or hear. So that's what I've got. Yeah. Birds are amazing. <laughs> birds birds are cool. Good bird. Co sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we're, we're coming at the end. I'm going to ask uh, one last thing of you. It is a question of the month. Um, this last, this article, I came across this article. It was really fascinating um, in a kind of a funny sort of way. So there was a, a lyre bird in the Taronga Zoo uh, somewhere in Australia. And um, there was a, there an escaped animal. And so uh, the zoo goers were warned of this escape by a, a recording um, that said, evacuate, asking them all to evacuate. Hmm. And so the lyre bird, which is one of these famous birds known for being able to mimic just about anything, um, heard these the alarm and the evacuate now, and it and it essentially copied it. I've got a little, I've got the recording here. You should be able to hear it. Yeah. So it's actually saying evacuate now in an Australian accent. <laughs> Which is That's so what makes wild it to me. so good. That's the thing. So I don't know if you remember the um, the David Attenborough Life of Birds document, the famous one, the lyrebird scene where the lyrebird mimics like a camera shutter and a, and a chainsaw. If you haven't, please look at it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if people haven't. Uh, it's one of the famous lyrebird things. But this is fantastic too because the lyrebird, in the video, the lyrebird is just sitting there doing the whoop whoop and they evacuate now. It's, 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 it's wild. With this in mind, what is the best example of bird mimicry that you 
have heard. <laughs> I just want to meet that okay. bird. Yeah. Well, it's at the Toronto you know, Zoo. Somewhere. It's just, you know, I can, <laughs> I can hear the, sh- I can hear the shushers now though. Why are you so excited about a mimic How bird? How do you know that's not a, an alarm? It's probably a recording. <laughs> can I just say that the liar bird's a liar lion about lions? Oh. Yeah. Nice one. Let's see. Let's see what you did that, there, Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> I couldn't it's say that five times lions. fast, though. Yeah. <laughs> you were thinking hard through every syllable. It was. <laughs> it was. Honestly, I don't think it's anything as nothing is going to be as cool as that. But no. I have to say, it's probably like the blue jay imitating the red-shouldered hawk. Yeah, classic. Right? Like yeah. you're just like, what? You know, like you get all excited, yeah. and you're like, oh. Or or a starling, I like I got a starling that yeah. gets me every day. You know, oh, uh, starlings when they do northern bobwhite are the absolute. They're worst. they're so <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, crusher. they're so good, yeah. right? Like I just like you know, well, that's it for me. No, nothing too out of the ordinary. So I'll admit that I immediately went to the herd aspect, and like mm-hmm. I've definitely been tricked by mockingbirds. But yeah. then I'll admit. That I was like, oh, but that's a little ableist, you know, maybe I should think about like any bird Mm -hmm. and like be honest, especially like with my trusted co-hosts and also the the audience, you know, what bird has mimicked something and truly fooled me. And then I and and I'm going to set this up because I I think I think I have. I think I have a good one. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like the bird community now needs to rethink the whole like fool me once, shame on you, fool oh, me yeah. twice, shame on me. Because I feel like my answer is going to be like the fool me a thousand times. <laughs> what's what's the thing? Yeah. So my so my answer to the question of the month, morning dove. Morning dove. I have been oh fooled. In Fooled by a morning dove more than I think any other bird yeah. ever. They're and chimera. I, yeah. I think a lot of folks have to. <laughs> oh, for sure. Morning dove can so, look, like just pigeons in general. Um, yes. Give off looks that are, I mean, yeah, they look like gulls. They can look like falcons. They can look like, um, all, I mean, all sorts of Everything. Stuff. Yeah. Right. And then I also just want to take the opportunity, especially in the spirit of this conversation, to be like, it's okay that you <laughs> were fooled. Wrong. Yeah. Okay. Even the the quote best birders biggest list whatever it's okay that you're you make mistakes Back. oh yeah that's okay like admit it share that if anything that's good yep. that's really really valuable for yep. our community to know mistakes are good and learning opportunities so embrace the morning doves celebrate the morning doves <laughs> embrace, embrace the blue jays embrace <laughs> but the double doves. but yeah. double check your morning doves <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, speaking of like mockingbirds, I heard one once. It did the perfect imitation of a car alarm, but not yeah. just the you know the one that cycles, but not just the not just the the sound, the beep boop when somebody like hits the fob. Oh, that's nice. I was like, oh damn, that's next level. Um, <laughs> I'd never heard a, a mockingbird do it yeah. all that like really commit to the part. Um, <laughs> but um. <laughs> The one that I wanted to mention, this actually like ties a little bit into what Jordan and Dexter were saying, is that there was one time, and this may not be mimicry, this may actually be learning, so I feel it, it's a little bit different, but I was like in a power line cut last summer, mm-hmm. and lots of birds having lots of feelings in a power line cut in the summertime. <laughs> um, it was full of species, and I like made eye contact with this amazing indigo bunting. 
And it looked at me and I looked at it and we looked at each other again. And then it opened its beak and a song sparrow song came out. No way. I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> I know I, what like, you're expecting. And I'm going whoa. to subvert those expectations. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, I just sat there. I was like, did I just, and it did it again. And I was like, yeah. are, you, are you messing with me? Like, are we going to have to have words here? Um, but <laughs> it made me think a lot about all the other times that other birds, like whether it's grackles, yeah. you know, obviously like the really typical mimics, but also just birds that pick up other bird song. I think yes. it is a lot more. It's a lot. It happens way more than people realize. And the better of an ear birder you get, the more you realize it's happening. Um, and it just, it to me makes it a much richer experience. I think for somebody who's like really uptight, it freaks them out. So like, I'm never going to be able to trust my ears again. <laughs> you can't, and I'm really. just like, that's when I'm like, buddy, you got to go do more therapy. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's not going to be wrong, but it's like, to me, it's like, it's, it just uh, speaks again to like the, the, the beautiful variety, just like the beauty of birds. You know, a species that does a lot of mimicry that is really underappreciated because it kind of samples it and like transmits it it, through its own language is American goldfinch. American goldfinches incorporate so many different versions of different bird songs into their song, but they kind of speed them up a little bit. And so that that was going to be mine because American, there's American goldfinch that sings in my neighborhood that kind of incorporates some couplets from like the local mockingbirds and from the local uh, American robins, but they're slightly like remixed. Yeah. So it does them a little bit faster. And but the the rhythm is the same. Exactly. Yeah. Bootleg calls. (laughs) Lesser goldfinch, lesser goldfinches do that too. When I'm out visiting my, when I'm out visiting my family on the West coast, I'm sitting on the back deck and I'm just like, Oh, it's a, and I'm like, no, it's a, it's like goldfinch, 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 goldfinch. I'm just like, great. I love you. But also, uh. (laughs) 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's my yeah. So there's there's a lot of mimicry out there. So don't be uh, don't be embarrassed if you get one wrong. It happens to and you can't fit birds in boxes. No, because that's that's just that's just wrong. No, and I think that goes back to it. A really nice summary for this whole podcast yep. episode, which is you just got to appreciate the birds. Appreciate you don't want to you don't want to take anything for granted. Nope. nope, absolutely not. Well, I'll wrap this up. Um, thank you so much. To Martha Jordan Dexter, it was great to have you here. This was a, a super good conversation. I really appreciate all of it. We'll have links to all the articles that we talked about in the show notes. Please check those out. And links to whatever all the people are in this group are doing. Yeah, they're all doing great stuff. So please keep an eye on that as well. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your flexibility. Listeners may not know that we had some tech difficulties and some scheduling issues that we all resolved in the end. All's well that ends well. Thank you to all three of you. Till next time, I guess. Yeah. Happy birding. Happy birding. Bye. Bye. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. You get a lot of great benefits, including our magazines, discounts to partners like Princeton University Press, Corner Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can find out how to do that at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week too. Wes Hansen of Glen Heights, Texas, Randy Baker of Garden City, Kansas, Matthew Bush of Seattle, Washington, David Wood of Bellingham, Washington, and Adam Prince of Holly Springs, North Carolina, who whose name I was really excited to see on there because I used to do nature camps with Adam back in the day. And also reminds me, I am way overdue at sending him a copy of uh, my field guide to birds of North Carolina. Sorry about that, Adam. I'll get it to you soon. Anyway, all of these people recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Executive Director 
director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who wonders if the Taronga Lyrebird can be brought to justice for its lies, making it, instead, a slander bird. Technical production is by John Lowry, who wonders if he could ever get a whole group of lyrebirds mimicking the same thing at the same time, maybe some sort of choir bird. Additional help with social media comes from George Munoz, who knows that any bird that the lyrebird mimics is, by definition, a prior bird. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media most everywhere is American Birding Association. On Twitter, we are at ABA. Hey, want to hear a great liar bird impression? You just did. Questions, comments can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, everybody. Till next week. <laughs>